Good morning to you. As um, Noad mentioned, we are finishing the epistle to the Galatians. And so I'd like to turn to Galatians chapter 6. It's been a long road, but a profitable one um, because there were problems in the Galatian churches. False teachers had entered into these, um, these lovely fellowships and they were spreading evil, evil doctrine. Paul wrote to the Galatians, there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. What could be more precious than the gospel of Christ? And yet there were men who were committed to its, uh, its twisting and um, its falsification. The Galatians received these Judaizers, Judaizers with their deadly teaching and were willing to tolerate it and even to follow it. Paul wrote, O oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched or hypnotized or seduced you that you should not obey the truth. I marvel that you're turning so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another. So there was a problem. There was a, a real problem in these churches. And uh, Paul has, um, has addressed these. He launched into an eight point attack on the False gospel, uh, false gospel of these Judaizers. And he concluded in um, chapter five, verse one, with uh, exhortation, stand fast therefore in the liberty by which Christ has made us free and do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. How well the Galatians stood fast in their liberty against these false teachers. Only glory will tell us we don't have any follow-up letter. We don't know how the um, Galatian churches did, but we, we trust that, um, that they stood firm, stood fast in their liberty. Much of the following verses in his letter, the apostle gives to intensely practical instructions to his beloved brethren, stressing the obedience to the leading of the Holy Spirit and then loving one another by bearing one another's burdens. We talked about that, we looked at that last week. But Paul must conclude his letter and we'll make our uh, object this morning to apply the truths that, that Paul uses to close his address to the Galatians. So let's turn to uh, Galatians 6 and start with verse 11. See with what large letters I have written to you with my own hand. As many as desire to make a good showing in the flesh, these would compel you to be circumcised, only that they may not suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised, for not even those who are circumcised keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me 
and I to the world. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but a new creation. And as many as walk according to this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Brethren, the grace of God, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. In verse 11, we see something of the intensity of Paul's concern for the, um, for the brethren. Whether he wrote just this last little bit in his own handwriting or whether he wrote the whole letter, it, um, it shows his commitment to the saints. It shows the seriousness of the problem that was there in the Galatian churches. It really shows his love for them as well. Some believe that the Apostle Paul had an eye problem and that was why he wrote in such large letters. Um, but um, in any case, we're gonna look at these uh, remaining verses this morning in three, uh, under three headings. First, the aim of the false teachers. Second, the aim of the Apostle Paul. And third, uh, the, the Apostles' benediction. So let's look at the aim of the false teachers. Their desire in verse 12 was to make a good showing in the flesh. They wanted to look good. They wanted to make a display of their religious zeal, their energy. They wanted to put up a good front. They wanted to look holy and spiritual. The Pharisees, during the Lord Jesus' earthly ministry, had really captured this look. They sounded a trumpet in the synagogues and in the streets to announce their charitable deeds, their, their uh, giving to the poor, um, to have glory from men. They loved to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets that they may be seen by men. They fasted with sad countenances and disfigured their faces that they might appear to men to be fasting. And they traveled earth and sea to add another disciple to their society of um, men pleasers. They specialized in the externals, in appearance, and to the neglect of things of the heart. The Lord Jesus assessed them in this way. They have their reward. Whatever gain they would have received in um, this, um, that they labored for, this superficial, egotistical, transitory goal, uh, they received. They got it. And the Lord Jesus pronounced this on them. He said, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are white, like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead man's bones and uncleanness. So um, would a tomb be a great place to uh, have a wedding or to, to live? It certainly looks nice on the outside, 
But if you were to open the door, you'd find inside death, dead men's bones. We can paste on a fake spirituality and fool a lot of people, but it's no more effective than lipstick on a pig. The pig in this photo is a pig, but it has lipstick on. That doesn't make it a non-pig. That's, uh, it's still just a pig. Similarly, the religious showman who um, puts on a thin layer of religion is still the same person. He hasn't changed. You put on a little lipstick, you put on a show, a fair show. It's, um, it may deceive some, but uh, he's still the same person. Thank you. How did the Judaizers try to perfect this good showing? Well, by compelling others to be circumcised. Circumcision is a simple surgical procedure, but the Judaizers said that it carried great merit before God for heaven. After all, hadn't God commanded um, Abraham as a sign of God's covenant with him back in Genesis 17? The Judaizers sought to avoid persecution that they would have suffered if they'd preached the cross. By nature, people are willing to observe rites and ceremonies as long as they don't have to change their conduct. We see today in churches, the, um, the church watering down their message that they might boost their membership. However, the preaching of the cross sets aside the wisdom of man and every form of ritualism that he lifts up as a means of salvation. The preaching of the cross declares that man is a sinner and under the righteous judgment of God and that our only hope is in God's provision of a savior. These Judaizers were not interested in the spiritual welfare of those to whom they preached. They were interested in their own gain, their own prestige. Their insistence on circumcision removed the reproach of the cross and saved them from being the target of the hatred of the Jew, Jewish unbelievers. The Judaizers' message placed circumcision above the cross. It placed works above faith. It placed externals and superficials above what should have been happening inside in the heart. And we see uh, further in verse 13 their hypocrisy. For even those who are circumcised, not even those who are circumcised, keep the law. The Judaizers had no intention of obeying the law. The Galatians should have seen the, um, the hypocrisy of it. Um, if you can't follow the law yourself, why are you expecting me to follow it? Should have been the Galatians' response. They should have recognized the bankruptcy of the, uh, the Judaizers' message. 
But their boast was this, that, um, that the Galatians had undergone circumcision and the, uh, the Judaizers would boast in that. They wanted a large following. They wanted, um, they wanted to be able to show that they had this, uh, this large number who were, uh, who were following their lead. This would be their glory. This would be their boast. Paul contrasts the aim of the Judaizers with his own desire, his own aim. In verse 14, God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, scripture doesn't forbid boasting. It doesn't uh, tell us not to brag, but we need to, to brag about the right things. The ugly electric chair of the uh, Roman Empire was a rough-hewn instrument of torture and death. But the apostle gloried in it because of the person who died there to take the apostle Paul's guilt upon himself. He calls it the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the Lord of all, of heaven and earth. His name is Jesus, which means Savior, Christ, means the anointed one, the Messiah, the chosen of God, elect. And our is possessive. It emphasizes the believer's um, relationship with the Lord Jesus, our Lord Jesus Christ. In our search for reality and truth, we may have asked the question, what is the difference between useless, lifeless law-keeping and salvation through, uh, through faith by grace? The answer is the cross. It's simply the cross. The cross tells me who I am, a vile and guilty sinner saved only by the Lamb. It tells me also who God is, God could not pass the sinner by. Justice demands that he should die. But in the cross of Christ, we see how God can save us righteously. God demands justice. He will have it. But in his mercy, he allows for the salvation of a sinner. We see who God is through the cross. The cross furnishes all that is needed for an outlaw's salvation. Any, any, the worst, the vilest can come by way of the cross to the Lord, uh, to God through the Lord Jesus. Paul boasted in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, and we see similar boasting in our, uh, in our meetings. Many of the hymns that we sing, we, we sang one this morning, when I survey the wondrous cross on which the Lord of glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and poor contempt on all my pride. We're boasting, we're really bragging about the Lord Jesus, about his person, about his work on the cross. We, uh, we boast um, rightly because uh, Paul encouraged the Ephesian church with these words. He said, be filled with the spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, 
hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We, we sang uh, two hymns this morning, and the thing that, uh, that happens to uh, you, if it's like what happens to me, is that um, these hymns pop up during the week. And I'll be um, doing something unrelated, I'll be at work, I'll be focused on, on uh, uh, a problem or a project, and the hymn comes back, the tune comes back, and then I start thinking of the words. And um, it, it really is uh, bragging, really, about the Lord Jesus. It's really appreciating Him. We just had our weekly re uh, remembrance meeting. Paul told the Corinthians, he said, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. So we're, um, among ourselves, we're really uh, boasting about our Savior, the Lord Jesus. We boast about him in our conversation. Bill recalled in his um, book, One Day at a Time, he said, I admire those sensitive souls who are so moved by the sufferings of the dying Savior that they break down and cry. I think of my Christian barber, Ralph Rukuo. Often as he stood over me, he would talk about the agonies which the Savior endured. Then, with tears falling on the cloth cover, he would say, I don't know why he was willing to die for me. I'm such a wretch. Yet he bore the penalty of my sins in his body on the cross. Paul boasted in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, and we boast as well. Paul offers, um, by personal example, how the cross is a great divide, how it's a great divide. He says um, in verse 14, the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world. The world has been crucified to me. What does that mean? The world generally is the system which man has built to make himself happy without Christ. It may include the world of culture, the world of opera, art, education, science, even religion. In short, any sphere in which the Lord Jesus is not loved and welcomed. The world has been crucified to me. It's died to me. I despise it. O oh, worldly pomp and glory, your charms are spread in vain. I've heard a sweeter story. I found a truer gain. Paul despises the world. It, he has no use for it. He's, um, it's been crucified to him. It's dead. And he says um, in, the same, uh, in the same context, and I have been crucified to the world. This, uh, this world system looked at the apostle, the former Saul of Tarsus, and said, you know what, Paul? You're a waste. You're a, you're a waste of human intellect and capabilities and strength. You're useless to humanity. You're unfit for life on the earth. You're insane. The world, uh, Paul was dead to the world. They had no use for him. And we find this, um, 
This true, this truth borne out in his letter to the first Corinthians, Paul wrote, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. It really is. We, we preach the gospel and the world says, that's, that's nonsense. Why, why do you believe that? That's naive. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For Jews request a sign and Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. The world, that is those who are perishing without a savior, look at the cross, at the message, and they call it foolishness. Therefore, the world says whoever follows that message, whoever believes that message is a fool. So Paul writes, I've died to the world. I've died to it. There's, there's, no, um, there's no love lost. The cross of Christ is a barrier between the believer and the world. By way of the cross, I reject the world and the world rejects me. We have in this country geographically what's called the Great Divide. Bring that up for us. It's also called the Continental Divide. It runs all the way from the tip of Alaska down through uh, Latin America and all the way down South America to the, um, uh, to the end of South America. What is it? It's the uh, ridge. It's a ridge of mountains. And water, rain that falls on the west side of the Continental Divide drains west. The rain that falls on the east side of the Continental Divide drains east. This is Gray's Peak. It's on the uh, Continental Divide in Colorado. Um, this, is, um, this amazes me that if I go down to a creek on the west side of um, of Gray's Peak and I pour half a cup of water in a, in a little stream. That stream runs down to a creek, that creek runs down to a tributary, and that tributary runs down to the Colorado, which uh, then runs into the uh, Gulf of California. I take that same cup and I walk over Gray's Peak and I pour the rest of that cup in a creek, and that creek runs down to a tributary, and it runs down to the Arkansas River, which dumps into the Mississippi and into the Gulf of Mexico. Whoa. 
That's the great divide, the continental divide. In a spiritual way, the cross is the great divide between the believer and the world. What makes the apostle and others so different, so despised by the world? It's the cross of Jesus Christ. What makes the world so unattractive and so suspicious to the believer? It's the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. By the cross, the world has been crucified to me and I have been crucified to the world. Let's apply what we've, uh, what we've seen in this great divide. The enemy of the cross, the message of the cross is compromise. When we come down from our distinctively crucified position to flirt with the world's religion or to accept some of its favors, we weaken our testimony and we dishonor our head, our Lord Jesus Christ. Think on these. How, how does, uh, what does compromise look like practically? What we read, what we watch, the world's message in its books and videos is basically be a good person, be an upright, upstanding person, and all will be well with you. That's really the message. Boil it all down, all the movies, all the books uh, of the world. Be a, an upstanding person, and it's going to be okay. It's going to be well with you. We can't help but be influenced by a steady diet of this. What are you feeding on today? It's the world's entertainment. It's the world's philosophy getting through books and videos and movies. We see compromise when we invite friends to, um, to speak at our prayer meetings who are not believers. Um, Maybe he's a Roman Catholic missionary, and we ask him to, uh, to report, well, he doesn't know the Lord, and um, to, to honor him in that way really dishonors the Lord Jesus. Our neighbors show up at the front door. They identify themselves as belonging to those whom we know as a cult. They, they don't believe the Lord Jesus. They don't believe in his work. And uh, how do you greet them? Do you greet them with a cheery, good morning, how are you? Do you dismiss them with a uh, uh, wish you success today, have, uh, have a great day? The Apostle John says this, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, that is the proper doctrine about the Lord Jesus, his person, his work, do not receive him into your house nor greet him. For he who greets him shares in his evil deeds. They identify themselves as Mormons. They told you that they were for, with the watchtower. What did you do? I'm not going to, I'm not going to welcome them. You guys are preaching a false gospel. And um, really the best I can do is tell you, don't take that to my neighbors, okay? Because when we, we, 
we help them, we're taking part in their acts, we're taking part in their work. Don't greet them, don't send them on their way. Don't bless them. Uh, yet another way that we compromise is, um, uh, for example, among our coworkers, uh, a mutual friend has died. That mutual friend had no interest at all in the, in the Lord Jesus. He had no, uh, he, he never sought the Lord's salvation. And yet, when my coworker says, oh, um, I think he's in heaven. I should not say, yes, I believe that he's in heaven. When, I, when that's wrong, that's a, that's a um, really a practical denial of the truths of the gospel, of the, the cross of Christ, of the necessity of Christ's work on the cross. In his, offer, in his offering of his example of separation from the world, the apostle must be urging us as he did the Galatians, brethren, I urge you to become like me. Recognize that the cross is a great divide. It's a barrier between the world and me. The world hates me and I really hate the world. May we be like the apostle who did not yield submission to the false brethren for even an hour that the truth of the gospel might continue. The world has been crucified to me, Paul said, and I to the world. In verse 15, the apostle talks about the necessity of a new creation. He says, um, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything. Circumcision characterized the Jew and uncircumcision characterized the Gentile, but neither counts anything toward salvation. Circumcision didn't help in any way. Uncircumcision didn't hinder in any way. They just were a waste of time. They didn't help. The presence or absence of a mark on the body had no bearing on a person's salvation, but a new creation, Paul said. God must work within, not by reformation, not even by um, re-renovation, but by recreation. He says, um, he says, a new creation avails for salvation. He's, uh, he's saying here, new not in time, not that it's a recent thing, but new in its nature, something entirely different from the old, a new creation God produces. Because the new creation is all of Christ from start to finish, it excludes any thought of gaining God's favor through character or works. A life of holiness is produced not by the observance of ritual, but by yielding to Christ and permitting him to live his life in the believer. The result in verse 16, as many as walk according to this rule, peace and mercy be upon them. Note that Paul began verse 12 with as many as desire to make a good showing in the flesh. In verse 16, as many as walk according to this rule. He's contrasting, he's showing we have uh, two distinct groups of people here, one or the other. 
the rule that Paul exhorts us to walk according to is that principle that all blessing comes from Jesus Christ by way of the cross. And it's given to those who are new creatures in Christ. That's the rule. There is neither peace nor mercy to those who try to keep the law, but instead both are the possession of new creations. The Israel of God may refer to all who are of faith, to all who belong to the Lord Jesus and are the true seed of Abraham. They are heirs according to the promise. There's no basis here for interpreting this verse to mean that the um, church is the continuation of Israel. Israel still has its, um, its portion in the future when God uh, brings it back to the um, uh, to view. The, uh, the Apostles' benediction. Paul was distressed by the activities of the Judaizers because they insisted on marking other people's bodies at no cost to themselves. He said, um, from now on, let no one trouble me. The Lord Jesus had delivered Paul from the slavery of the law, and now Paul belonged to Jesus as his willing slave, as his loving slave. And so Paul bore the brand of his master's ownership. What were the marks that Paul bore in, um, in love to his master? Well, he was, uh, he was stoned with stones in Lystra and left for dead. Whether he had uh, deformities from broken bones or scars on his head from, uh, from that, um, these would have been marks of the Lord Jesus. He received beatings from the Jews on five occasions, 40 stripes minus one. You'd be reluctant as an executioner to, um, to beat on a man's back who'd already been scarred several times. Paul endured it five, five times. Paul didn't want to hear any more of those who insisted on marking uh, other people's bodies at no cost to themselves, and that for salvation or for their vain boasting. Paul was through with that. He's about to lay down his pen. With what word will the, Paul, will the apostle finish his letter? With the same word that he started, grace. Brethren, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. He began the letter grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. The, um, the concept of God's unmerited favor had followed through his, his whole letter. It characterized his gospel. And so he finishes with this word grace. If you do not belong to the Lord Jesus, what do you seek this morning? A good showing in the flesh? You trying to impress? You trying to look holy, to be spiritual by taking shortcuts? 
Do you want a large following? Do you want people to uh, admire you and to, um, to say, oh yes, uh, very, very spiritual person, that one? Or do you want peace and mercy that come through the Lord Jesus by his cross? Jesus yearns to give those to you. If you don't know him this morning, he extends the invitation to come to him, you who labor and are heavy laden, and he will give you rest. He'll give you peace and mercy. Those of us who walk as new creations in the Lord Jesus, do you boast in his cross? If not, will you realize afresh this morning that the world has been crucified to you and you to the world? Make your application of the message this week to brag to family and friends, coworkers and neighbors about the Lord Jesus and his saving work. Let's pray. What a savior you are, Lord Jesus. You, um, you make new creations out of, um, uh, out of the wreckage that, um, that we make ourselves. You offer peace and mercy to, to the restless, to those who yearn for, uh, for that peace. We, uh, we thank you for that, Lord Jesus, for your reality, for your life, for your sacrifice on the cross of Calvary for each and every one of us. Uh, those of us who know you and perhaps um, haven't been vocal in our boasting, we pray for opportunities this week to, um, to do just that. To, uh, to brag about you and your, your love for us, your work for us. In your name, Lord Jesus, amen.